Well, you know what they say. We're starting with, okay, what? They say that the second round is always better than the first round, baby. Is that what they say? That's what they say. And this is round two because once again, we noted the wrong episode. (laughs) Okay. Hi, everyone. Hello. Here at I Think Not, we like to take accountability. We are known as a true crime comedy series that takes accountability. And I would like to start by saying I fucked it up, y'all. I fucked it up. Welcome to I Think Not, the podcast where we just like to record podcasts no matter what they are. We don't even have to agree. We don't even have to note the same episode. I am Ellen Marsh, and across from me is Joey Taranto. So let's take it from the top, everyone. Yesterday, Joey and I sit to record an episode, and we hear this. Let's get to it. Season 25, episode one, Pandora Zan. Who's Pandora Zan? What? Who is Pandora Zan? That's the name of the episode. The name is Georgia Watson. Not on season 25, episode one. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, we did that. I did that. I did this. (laughs) I did this. You all this week with me having COVID and us having two brain cells to rub together and they're both fighting and Joey's under a tarp. What else, Joey? Oh my God. Also, I'm a base today. I've been like a little congested, but I went and saw Madonna last night and I didn't feel bad because she's a base now too. She was literally like, (laughs) open your heart to me. Can we take it down an octave? Can Can we take that down? So we're back and we have Jeff here. (laughs) Poor thing. We just keep fucking up deadlines. But, you know, apparently that's what we do anyway. If you would like more of (laughs) more of this, whatever this is, please head over to Patreon. Yesterday I said www.patreon.com slash I think not. And Joey called me a boomer. I did. I was you're like, you can go to the internet at www.worldwideweb.internetelectronicalgoreinvention.com slash org slash sign up. If you go to our Patreon, there are hundreds of episodes. You can download them before you get on the plane. You can enjoy them on the plane. You can sit with your earbuds in at Christmas dinner and just listen to us talk about people who are apparently living in your attic. We have tons of episodes ready there. We also have our Hallelujah, What's It To You tier. And don't forget, on Friday, everyone on Patreon, we are having a family movie night. We are watching Elf. The best Christmas movie. I will accept no other substitutions, suggestions, or questions at this time. Elf is the best Christmas movie there is, was, and has ever been. And we're watching that all together on Christmas Eve, 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 which is tomorrow. When you hear, wait, tomorrow? Friday, the 22nd. Yeah. I suggested the Shawshank Redemption. I'm not sure why people (laughs) didn't get on board. Yes, you're my little nightmare before Christmas. Mm -hmm. But anyway, should we get on with the show, the real episode we're going to cover? I think so. I think it's time. We've only been trying to record this episode for three years now. (laughs) We are starting a new series. We do a new series every month here on the main feed and on Patreon. We do a long list. We do about 10 or 12 episodes of a show. And we are now covering the award-winning, Oscar-worthy, Emmy-nominated, Grammy-winning 
snapped. Oh, honey. And the reason Joey was so confused is there are so many seasons. There are so many seasons, 525,600 seasons. It's just, they just keep going. <laughs> People are just snapping all over the place. I snap like every other day and nobody does a TV show about me. Well, we've all been through enough. <laughs> Season 25, episode one, Pandora Zan. She was a single mom and he was a retired Marine when their love blossomed online. I felt really lucky that he wanted to be with me. It was like instant family. He had a good life. He was a good man. Just wanted to be with the family. They were like really active going out and doing stuff with us kids. But beneath the surface, dark secrets lurk. He was acting really nervous at home. I knew that there was something wrong. Then one night, everything explodes. She says she couldn't see him because it was too dark. There's blood everywhere. It was a horrific scene. 50-some stab wounds all over the body. Y'all, I'm telling you now, this is dark. This is very dark. It's heavy. I'm giving you the option now. It's 9.30 a.m. here. I may want to do a shooter of some Jaeger. I don't know. It's it's quite heavy. Buckle up. It is October 17th, 2009. We are in Miamisburg, Ohio, which is just outside of Dayton. And there is a 911 call at about 6.13 a.m. Listen to this 911 call. Help me, Jesus. They say that they get a call from a studio apartment. Yeah. I don't get it because the reenactment is not in a studio apartment. For people who have never lived in Manhattan, when you are in a studio apartment, you can see your kitchen from your bed. Yes. Have you ever lived in a studio apartment? Not only have I lived in a studio apartment, I lived in a studio apartment with a very toxic boyfriend oh. for five years. And it was truly, I mean, I'm I, surprised I didn't snap. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I don't know if anyone has ever had that. You basically walk from your kitchen, you take two steps, you're in your living room, and you take another step and you're in your bed. Except the whole thing is hell. It's hell. Right. It's hell on earth. But anyway, this reenactment is not in a studio apartment. But the call is basically saying that there was a home invasion. And this woman is saying that her husband was stabbed, the screen door was cut, and so they ask all the questions. Is he still breathing? And she says his eyes are open, but he's not moving. I don't know what to say to be respectful, but please close their eyes. Oh, my God. That's a visual that is just so haunting. Also, the dispatcher kept saying, like, why don't you go in there? Go in there and check on him. That must have been so traumatic for her. And she's hysterical. Like, there's no way I could have done that. But, I mean, I, I again, I, I, when you're, I know. It, I don't. Like I know. Welcome to gun. goat yoga. Welcome to goat yoga. <laughs> I don't know what I would do. That's the thing. So finally, she's hysterical, and the dispatcher's like, "Why don't you go outside and wait for the EMTs to get there?" And they're there in minutes. So the woman who made this call is named Pandora Zan. So Pandora's husband's name is Charles Zan, and they obviously go to him and see if they can give him aid, if he can be saved. And one of the officers said, "There was blood." all over the bed, all over the walls, blood everywhere. Lying on the bed drenched in blood is the body of Charles Zan. 
In my 25 years, this is probably the most gruesome thing that I've ever seen. Honestly, I believe you. Like, oxygen does not have to sprinkle barbecue sauce everywhere. I guess if you're going to do the reenactment, you have to do it. And even if you only have three packets of that little McDonald's ketchup that they give you, that they put all over this poor man who's being reenactment, Charles, you know, those like little packets of ketchup. Yes, of course. They're only good for like one fucking French fry. Yes. You open it and you can just like paint it on one fry and you're like, oh, well, that and then you eat that one fry and you're like, oh, let me open up another fucking packet and paint it on this fry. And you're like, fuck it. And then you eat the rest of them without any ketchup. Anyway, all the ketchup was being used at oxygen to put all over Charles Zan. I'm just saying we believe you. It was a bloody, bloody scene. We really do. And this story is already so graphic. And the reenactments on top of it, I was like, who suggested this show again? Oh, everyone. So I need to, I have an issue with everyone. Okay, got it. We need to have a company meeting. And by company, we mean everyone. Charles Stephen Zan II was raised in Lorraine, Ohio, the oldest of four children. When his parents separated and his dad moved out, Charles became the man of the house. He had two younger brothers and a younger sister, and it was kind of his job to help raise them. You know who's telling us this information? Pandora. Pandora is telling us this information very lovingly, I might add. Yeah. And I mean, I don't know what happens yet, but I know this show is called Snapped. Someone had to have snapped. It's definitely not Charles because he's no longer with us, sadly. But I'm very intrigued as to how lovingly Pandora is talking about her husband, aren't you? Yes. So Charles, when he got older, he graduated from high school. He enlisted in the army. And his friend Reggie Gilliman is here. And he says, you know what? The best thing about joining the army is you get to wear the uniform. It's the best part. It's my favorite part. (laughs) like, I don't know if it's for prestige or money. And I was like, I mean, no disrespect to anyone in the military. I have family in the military. Like, I mean, no disrespect, but I don't think it's a very lucrative job. I have no idea. I can't even comment. I, I on was it. like, I, I no feel idea. like people don't join the army for the money. But I digress, Reggie. You're lovely. So after three years in the army, he joins the Marine Corps for four years. And Pandora is still telling us his backstory, his history. He was stationed in California where he met his first wife. They had a child. And then after his service with the Marine Corps, they came back to Ohio. Listen, I have a lot of respect for people who serve. It's not easy. It's hard work. Also, I would be the worst because a sergeant in my face being like, do you hear me, soldier? I'd be like, get the fuck out of my face right now. And they'd be like, sir, that's not how this works. You can't talk back. And I'd be like, oh, I think it's how it works. You're going to yell at me. I'm going to match your energy, Sergeant Coont Face. We're here to match energy today in the Army. I think you misunderstood what the Army is for. I think so as well. Honorably discharged, Charles moved with his wife and their son, Adrian, to Miamisburg, Ohio, and put his military training to good use working as a corrections officer at the nearby Warren Correctional Institute. It was the job that was made for him. He said, I go in there and I know that I'm getting a job done and I come out of there with a great feeling of accomplishment. So when he moved back to Ohio, he was working as a correctional officer at Warren Correctional Institute and he loved it. He loved working there. But even though he loved his job, things were not going well at home. And in 2001, They separated, but they shared custody of Adrian. Yeah, they were fine. They were cool. I don't know. I don't know how people do it. I 
want to be those people. I love people who can like co-parent well. And they're like, oh, yeah, I invited my ex-husband to Christmas. I'm like, why? (laughs) Well, in that November, Charles met Pandora, who was 36 years old at the time. And she was an accounting specialist. Numbers, not our specialty. Mm -mm. Don't leave me to account for anything. I can barely (laughs) account for myself, but it's fine. (laughs) They met online. Do you know what the first dating website was? Wasn't it OkCupid? No. Kiss.com, who I don't know, in 1994, but Match.com started in 1995. Wow. Oh, OkCupid was way, way out there. Like way for sorry, okay. Cupid was way (laughs) later. Wait a minute. Hold on. I love that you gave me shit for talking like a goat, and you were like, "It was." (laughs) I I, watch. Wait, the other day we record at like nine o'clock at night. Now we're recording at nine o'clock in the morning, y'all. We are upside down and inside up. Upside down, (laughs) boy, you turn me inside out and. No, really, truly, we both woke up and our bodies were like, oh, here we are. But our brains went. It's okay. We'll reboot at some point. (laughs) We'll reboot about three quarters of the way through. Hold on. I'm going to date everyone here. They had Match.com. eHarmony came in 2000. But you know what came in 2002? Christian Mingle. No. Friendster. I remember Friendster. Gather round the campfire, children. (laughs) I've got a story of your to tell you. Before the Facebook, even before MySpace, there was a website called Friendster. It was a very exclusive club. You had to make sure your dial-up was working. (laughs) And it would take you an hour to find the HTML program to send your friend a thumbs up emoji. Do you remember Friendster? I remember it well. I was like 22. You had to be invited to Friendster. Wow. Yeah. Well, you really are trying to make us feel old. I know. And then MySpace came along and basically ate Friendster for breakfast. And it's true. the rest is history. The children will never know how we walked so they could run. And now we're hobbling. They're running and we're hobbling. This is all this podcast has turned into is how old we are. <laughs> Pandora was adopted. She was born in Cincinnati, but raised in Ohio. She said her family was filled with love, and she was married at 22, had a daughter named Misty and a son named Cody. Misty is here and said her mom was lovely, and she also had a great childhood. Everyone had a great childhood. There's no trauma. Goodbye, everybody. I don't know why we're here. Well, Pandora and her first husband, they weren't very happy And in 2001, same year that Charles got separated from his wife, Pandora also was separated from her husband. During the separation, Pandora obtained custody of the children and they moved to Lebanon, Ohio. My mom had an apartment and she was working for Lebanon City Schools. In November 2001, Pandora decided to try her luck finding a new love on the internet. So then in November 2001, Pandora was like, you know what? I haven't had enough romantical trauma in my life. I'm going to give love another chance. And you know how I'm going to do it? I'm going to do it on the World Wide Web. And she met 
Charles Zan. And they started emailing. They talked on the phone. They saw each other in person. They were just having the best time. I love the beginning of a relationship when you get those butterflies in your stomach and you talk till 3 a.m. And you like, you just go in, you go for long walks, you stare at each other's eyes and then you suck on each other's toes. (laughs) She says that the first time they went to his place, they had a romantic dinner and the romantic dinner of these two reenactment actors, they are eating a plate of SpaghettiOs on a paper plate with grape juice in plastic wine glasses from the Dollar Tree. Now, do not get it twisted. You know I fucking love a Dollar Tree, but I can spot those glasses from a mile away. Pandora's describing something with candlelight and music. The props people were just like, grab some grape juice because it is grape juice because there's bubbles at the top. And (laughs) I don't mean sparkling bubbles. I mean, the bubbles that grape juice makes. Don't question me. I know this shit. They were happy. That's all that matters. Did you guys know that Ellen specializes in the bubbles that grape juice makes? Did you know that? She is a specialist. They're having one. Oh, no, it's grape juice. That's grape juice. That's grape juice. I know the difference. That's grape juice. It's Welsh's. I know it. The happy couple fell hard for each other and moved fast to make it official. My divorce was final April 30th. His divorce was final May 2nd. And then we got married June 20th. And we just went to the mayor of Miamisburg and got married. They fell in love. They were happy. But also, y'all, things were happening fast. They moved real fast. Well, yeah, because they were separated and getting divorced, but those little papers hadn't been signed. So Charles's divorce was official on April 30th and hers was May 2nd. And then they waited like, you know, three or four years until they got married. Just kidding. They got married June 20th. Listen, when you know, you know. Love is love. Why are you judging? Who cares? I'm not judging. I'm just saying the body's not even cold yet. Why don't you move? You know, wait, wait a couple of years. What are you in a rush for? What are you in a race? Is there someone behind you? Is someone chasing you? Listen, you got to let people live their life. They're looking for happiness. They found happiness. Okay. They wanted to swap saliva together for the rest of their lives. I'm just saying, you know, give it, give it a little time. Give it a little breathing room. See if he cuts his toenails while he's taking a poop on the, on the shitter. You don't know. You don't know these okay. things. You don't know what it's like. You don't know how romantic it could be sharing a nice meal over some Welsh's grape juice and the wee hours of the morning talking about life, love and the real world. You never know. Who doesn't love SpaghettiOs? I, for one, love SpaghettiOs. (laughs) They went to the courthouse and got married just like Carrie and Big, only not at all. (laughs) They merged their families and the kids actually got along. You are from a crazy family, but I'm from a crazy blended family. Because that is huge. Because my family, when it blended, did not get along. My stepsister was crazy. We moved houses and my mom was like, here's your new stepdad. And also you're sharing a room. I was like, my what? That is a huge adjustment. Yeah. And she was crazy. Like none of us speak to her anymore. Not even my mother. Not even like her father. Oh, yeah. She totally. Have you ever heard me mention my stepsister? Actually, never. Do you know her name? No. Yeah. I have a stepsister. Is her name Marjorie? No. Taylor Green? Yeah. What if it was? I was like, you've been making fun (laughs) of my stepsister this whole time. No, blended families are fucking crazy. But you know what? If you can make it work, it's great. I mean, look at the Brady Bunch. They did it. They really did. Only their dad was gay. Oh, he was gay. Here's the story. Yeah. My sister's crazy. We 
are in Ohio and the way we know we're in Ohio is there's this video of like a field or something and there's this outside shot and right in front of the camera is this little toy scarecrow but it's like a stuffed animal scarecrow and it looks like the cameraman is holding it right in front of the shot did you notice that No, I didn't. The DP was like, honestly, this is such a boring shot. Can we throw something in there for texture? And someone in the props department was like, I have this uh, scarecrow from Michael's that I was going to give to my Mima for the solstice. We could put it up here. (laughs) And they're like, great. No one will notice. I will notice. I will always notice. I will notice everything. And then I'll talk about it on my podcast. Yeah. We have either this scarecrow or I have this hot dog costume from Halloween. Which one would you like? (laughs) Well, we know which one they chose. In 2002, Charles took a job at the Lebanon Correctional Institution as an inmate transfer officer and wanted to make a change at home for the kids. He talked me into quitting my job so that I could stay home and be a mom. My mom enjoyed being a mother. She was really family-oriented. In 2002, Charles started working at the Lebanon Correctional Facility, and he is working as an inmate transfer officer. And Charles was like, you know what? I'm doing well. I enjoy my job. I'm making good money. Pandora, why don't you just stay at home with the kids? And he convinced Pandora to become a stay-at-home mom. Yeah, I'm not sure where this story is going, (laughs) but now we have two people with a blended family three teenagers and of course shit is gonna get wild and misty is here and she's like yeah basically my brother cody was stupid he did stupid stuff he did a bunch of stupid stuff he was always stupid and i was like yeah i mean that's what teenagers do they do stupid stuff like you know they sneak out of your house through the laundry room door because there's a door outside of your laundry room and then you start your parents diesel car Uh that they can hear from a mile away and then you run out of gas and then you call your parents to come and get you from when you snuck out of your house that wasn't me that was my brothers they were stupid i was like that is oddly specific (laughs) my brothers did that they snuck out of our house started my mom's diesel car which sounds like a hurricane happening And my mom's like, I think that's my car. And then they ran out of gas. Oh, my God. You know, my sister and I, as the two youngest, we learned what not to do by watching my two older brothers. My sister and I used to go out on Saturday nights and we would tell my parents that we were going to a late dinner and a late movie. Right. So we figured that if we were going to dinner at 10 and seeing a midnight movie, we had from like 930 to 230 to go out. And I would take my sister out to gay bars with me in the French Quarter because I didn't want her going out to, you know, like straight bars in the French Quarter. My sister was always very voluptuous. She looked older and I didn't want guys hating on her. So I would take her to the gay bars with me and we never got caught. Your parents knew. No, they didn't. And my mother didn't know until like a couple years ago when we told her. She didn't? She had no idea. We were smooth. We knew what we were doing. Guess what, kids? None of that now, because I got a ring camera, bitch. Eventually, Misty, Cody, and Adrian grew up, moved out, and pursued careers and families of their own. I have my daughter and my son. My brother, Cody, has two kids. With the grandkids in his life, Charles was as happy as he'd ever been. The last few years when he was having grandchildren, like you could just see he was happy. Like being a grandpa changed his life. Charles loved being a granddad. Parents grow and they change into these sweet people. Like Lola thinks like my mom is the sweetest little nugget. 
And I'm she like, she is. She is. But like that bitch ruled our house with an iron fist. My mom had a wooden spoon and she was not afraid to use it. Of course not. We weren't allowed to go to dances. I couldn't go to a dance. My nieces and nephews, and they lived with my parents for a long time. They could go to dances. They got to trick or treat. All the things that we didn't get to do. And I was like, you're welcome. You are welcome. So now we're back at the morning in 2009 with that home invasion after the 911 call. And they're taking all the pictures with Charles and the marks all over his body. He, he was stabbed in his throat, his stomach, his back, his arms, his leg. I, I was like, we got it. We got it. He was, he was. They listed every body part. I was like, is this ever going to end? Yeah. They were like, oh, I'm sorry. I thought I was just listing parts of the body. Charles had stab wounds on his head, through his eye. He had stab wounds on his stomach, his back, his arms, his legs. It was a horrific scene. So basically, Pandora's story goes like this, that she was in bed. She heard a noise. She got out of bed. Problem number one, don't get out of bed when you hear a noise. All you have to do is pull the covers over your head and then no one can find you. I don't understand why nobody follows this Mm -hmm. easy life lesson. Mm -hmm. Yeah, look at you just educating the people. And then she said she gets out of bed and someone came at her from behind and knocked her out. She was knocked unconscious. And when she finally regained consciousness, she said someone was on her chest. She couldn't see what they looked like because it was too dark. Yeah. So she said, I could hear Charles scream. Then I heard one of the killers say, let's go. And so they ran out and she called 911 that she was a victim in all of this. And they processed the scene. And I was just like, you just said a whole lot of nothing. So they look around and there's no sign of forced entry, but there is a slit in the screen door. So there was forced entry. You said there. Okay. All right. I'm just I'm following the story just like you. Yeah. And they process the scene for fingerprints. They did find a latex glove covered in blood, but they were like, whose blood is this? It's a lot of blood and we need to figure out who this belongs to. So they test it. And they, of course, take Charles's body in for an autopsy. And when they processed the rest of the room, the nightstand had blood on it. And they were like, "Okay, so maybe he was like going for his gun in his nightstand. But there wasn't a gun there. And then the announcer says... After giving Pandora time to collect herself from the shock, detectives invite her to the Miamisburg police station for more detailed questioning. Invite? I don't think I've ever heard a show say they invited her. Like, we would like to cordially invite you to join us for high tea at the police station. And by tea, we mean the drain water that we serve. It's Sanka. Enjoy. Like, invite you to the police station? Milady, would thee care to join us in our wagon <laughs> to go down to ye old police station where we can engage in banter and biscuits? No, they were like, you need to come with us. Banter and biscuits. That's a good name for like a party. That's a good drag name. For like a brunch, banter and biscuits. <laughs> So even though it was 2009, they were like, we're going to record your confession on this 1991 Casio cassette player for no particular reason, even though iPhones have been invented and are fairly widely distributed. They just sit there and they're like, 
They recorded her confession and it is a it is a tape recorder. It is a tape recorder and they get a timeline of the day. Apparently Charles had called out of work that day. Love those days where you just like I'm home and I'm chilling cuz you're not doing much. I had one of those days in I think 2004. Yeah. I that reminds me I need to call out of right work. now. I got to go, Ellen. <laughs> they had a fun day. They watched TV. They enjoyed each other's company. That night they enjoyed some, you know, one-on-one time and Yeah, right. Okay, Okay. whatever. And then later on, there was the attack. And that's when Pandora says, you should know we were having marital problems. So basically, they had broken up the year before for like almost a year. And Charles was dating someone else. He was dating someone he met at the correctional facility. And then him and Pandora worked it out and he broke it off with her. And so they were like, "Okay, well, let's talk to this other woman because maybe she was jealous. Maybe she was mad that he went back with his wife. Who knows? We need to get her in there. In her interview, Pandora also suggests the murder might have been committed by someone connected to Charles's job. She said a week or two prior to this, Charles had run into an ex-inmate that had possibly made some threats to him. He went to pick up some auto parts, saw an ex-inmate, and the inmate said something along the lines of, I'm going to look you up. But then the police learned that actually Charles had a run-in with an ex-inmate while he was just out and about running errands, and the inmate was not too happy with Charles. He's like, I remember you. And I don't like you. And I'm going to be looking you up. And it really shook Charles a lot. Yeah. And he came home and told everyone. And he sort of began to be extra vigilant at home and like really locking doors and being a little more paranoid. So now the cops are like, okay. So, I mean, it's definitely not this wife. She's, you know, grieving and she's so sad. But it could be the ex girlfriend or it could be this ex inmate with this axe to grind. So they find the ex-girlfriend lady and they ask her questions and they were like, you know, were you mad or whatever? And she was like, no, I mean, he broke it off with me in February. That was eight months ago. They said this woman didn't seem angry. She didn't seem bitter. She didn't seem hostile. She was like, the dick wasn't that good. It was just there. Average dick. You know, it was the like, you know, okay, cool. It's like, you'll do dick. I don't remember that part of the episode. Yeah, that's what she she was like. It was fine. It was just that, you know, you're not going to get this ass anymore. That dick was just it was it was a C plus. You know, sometimes dick is just a C plus. That'll do dick. That'll That'll do do. dick. Yeah, that'll do. Also, it helps. She had an alibi. They don't tell us what the alibi was, but she had an alibi. (laughs) So now one day the police are like, we need to talk to Charles's family. And it just so happened that on this day, Adrian and Cody were in the same place. So they sit down with Charles's biological son, Adrian, first. He was 19. And he was like, I was with my parents the day before and nothing was out of the ordinary. And the truth is, is that they could tell Adrian was wrecked. He was very, he was destroyed over what had happened. Very upset. And so his demeanor led the police to be like, yeah, this guy is not involved. So then they talked to stepson Cody. And the first thing they notice is Cody has like scrapes and cuts all over him. But then he gives this story about being on a trail. What happened to your eye? I was at the haunted trail last night and they got this tunnel thing that spins and I fell over the railing and hit my face on the like tunnel thing. I love it when people are telling you something and they give so many weird details. He's like, yeah, officer, I wasn't there because I was giving my cat a bath because she 
got in the pickle jar because she Uh knows how to open the pickles and she likes pickle juice. So I have to give her a bath, even though I am allergic to pickle juice, not the pickles. So I have to take my allergy prescription over the Mm -hmm. counter, which Mm -hmm. is... Uh, what was the question? Yeah, they're like, no, all that makes sense. Mm-hmm. No, it's it's not suspicious at all. It, well, it's definitely giving this. Tom's house was broken into, and he confronted the burglar, and then had to go have eye surgery, and then my son had to go over Recently? and help, and then my son he rolled his car five times on the way home. Yeah, I'm under a lot of stress. Wait, what? And Cody was like, yeah, I mean, I went to my baby's mom's house, and stuff happened, and more stuff happened, and the cops are like, okay, okay, okay. Just answer us this. Would anyone want to hurt your stepdad? And Cody was like, all I know is that story that everyone keeps talking about, about this inmate who saw him out at the auto parts store that day. And Cody's like, yeah, that's all I know. Cody tells detectives he unfortunately has no more information. If anything comes up, Cody, where you get an idea of who may have done this, I want you to give me a call because we're keeping all options open. We want to try to figure out who did this, and we certainly want to get the right person. Okay. And and there was a stark contrast between Cody's demeanor and Adrian's demeanor. Now, I know we talk all the time, you cannot go by demeanor evidence, right? But Cody just seemed totally emotionless. And between him being stoic and also having a mangled face, like, his face was fucked up. And his hands. Yeah, they were like, something is up. Yeah. Something is up. And they basically note that, you know, Charles had been stabbed. They don't say this in the episode, but he was stabbed 48 times. Jesus. So they were saying this is definitely a crime of passion. And also, none of the stab wounds individually would have been fatal They know that he bled out. Also, can we stop? I understand what crime of passion means. It's basically saying that somebody got some kind of information or they were provoked in some way in some kind of situation, and then they commit a crime as a result of that happening. But the word passion is a really great thing. I don't know what the replacement word would be. Crime of really mad feelings. I don't know, something, anything else. Less than 48 hours after the murder, investigators bring Charles's stepdaughter, Misty, in for questioning. She tells detectives she too remembers hearing about Charles's encounter with a former inmate. I don't know if there was an actual altercation or if it was just a vibe that Chuck got, but my mom said that it made him nervous and that he was acting really nervous at home afterwards. 48 hours later, the police bring in Pandora's only daughter, Misty, to chat with her. And she's like, yeah, I heard about Charles's run-in with that inmate, too. And he had definitely been, like, a little bit paranoid. And they also noted that Misty's demeanor was somewhat relaxed. Like, she wasn't upset or nervous. And then that's when Misty discloses she felt that Chuck had been, like, a little bit abusive to them. Yeah, and so she's like, I mean, I'm not, like, Really, really sad he's gone. I mean, she didn't say that, but that's sort of like the vibe we were getting. So they were like, okay, maybe Misty had something to do with it or Cody or maybe they both did. They're just all really thrown off by this family. They were like, we need Pandora back in here. Somebody get Pandora. And Pandora was like, well, I'm not going without Misty. So the cops are like, fine. It's a family affair. Everybody come back in. They were like, we have some timeline questions that you need to make sense of. 
Because going back to that 911 call, ma'am, you said the screen was cut. But when we went in there to process the house, the curtains were drawn. So how did you know? It reminded me of Regina George where she's like, oh, it's so horrible. There's only four people who aren't in it. (laughs) (laughs) Literally. Pandora's like, oh, God, this is so scary. The screen door was cut. I think they came in the screen door. (laughs) Yeah, there were a ton of red flags. But the thing is, is that there's no evidence here. And Misty was like, Misty could feel where the police were going with this. So Misty was like, are we under arrest? And the police said, well, no, you're not under arrest. So she says, great, we're leaving. And she gets her mom out of there. They sit in the car and Misty's wheels are turning because she's thinking, my mom is involved in this. And you know, when you like hate yourself for thinking something, you're like, ah, stop it. Don't let your brain. No, why did you just think that? And so Misty, like, kind of gets her big girl panties on and she's like, hey, mom, by the way, I loved the French toast this morning. Delicious. I love it when you put the fried egg on top. Let's Uh just say, is there like a possibility that maybe that there's a chance, like a little baby corner of a sliver of a chance? I said, let me give you a hypothetical situation and I want you to tell me if, if it's possible I'm right. The gist of it was... My brother did it. My mom knew my brother did it. And they were trying to cover it up. And she said, you wouldn't be wrong. I mean, what? She's like, okay, mom, we need to go back to the cops and you need to tell them the truth. So the truth is, is that Pandora had been wanting to get out of the marriage. And she told her son, Cody, I don't know if I can leave because I'm afraid that Charles won't let me leave or that he'll find me. And she basically threatened to die by suicide if she couldn't get out of this marriage. That's very distressing for your child to hear. And Cody said to her, I'll take care of it. Yeah. Like the jar of pickles. Like, I got it. I got it. Give it. Give it. I got it. I was like, there's got to be another way. Yeah. (laughs) Maybe counseling. I mean. Or moving, perhaps. So Pandora tells her next story and she's like, okay, okay. I did hear the noise. That part is true. And the noise was Cody at my front door. And I did see the screen door was cut because Cody did it. And he basically was like, get out now because you're not going to want to see what I'm going to do. And then Missy says, and then what happened happened. I was like, (laughs) oh, God. I know. She doesn't want to say it. I understand that she doesn't want to say, and then my brother murdered our stepdad. I understand it, but she just said, and then what happened, happened. Yeah, I wouldn't want to say those words out loud. It's crazy. I mean, Cody went in there and killed him, and then Cody comes back out for his mom, and he's like, I lost one of the knives. And then Pandora goes in and sees what has happened to Chuck, and she was like, I was in absolute shock. The scene was horrifying. There was blood everywhere. When I walked in and saw the blood, I just collapsed on the couch. I don't remember getting up or doing anything just sitting there. I was in shock and I was numb and I couldn't think. But like Cody sort of wasn't done. And then he gets another knife from the kitchen and Pandora is just like freaking out. And he kind of finishes hurting Charles and then is like, okay, you better think of something. And then he left. And that's when Pandora calls 911. He literally said, 
figure it out. I'm leaving and left her with this wake of disaster in front of her. And so while Pandora is telling all of this to police, Cody texts her and the police are like, listen, is there any way we can get you to sort of coax a confession out of Cody and we will record the conversation? And she agrees. The cop was sort of advising her on how to get him to say something. And (laughs) they were like, yeah, say like, hey, Cody, tell me about that really bad thing you did. Just speak clearly and really loudly about the very bad thing you did to your stepdad, just so I can remember what happened. Yeah. I wanted to talk to you earlier, Adrian, but I couldn't have everyone's around. You know, I came in and talked to the police this afternoon, right? They're freaking me out. I think they're going to end up arresting me. Just all the evidence that they have. And how many times did you stab him, Cody? And Cody said, a bunch. So finally, Cody is like, "Okay, I don't want to talk on the phone anymore. And so he agrees to meet his mom at a hotel where obviously the cops are going to go and stake out and try and get Cody. And so Cody arrives at the hotel. He sees his mother's car in the parking lot in front of her hotel room. It's 3 a.m. Yeah, he arrives at 3 a.m. Could we get a little more detail about why he's meeting at 3 a.m.? Yeah. So he walks into the hotel and boom, the cops are there. But also Pandora is there. I guess she's waiting at the hotel with him, like sitting watching Golden Girls or something. And Cody doesn't get home until 3 a.m. And Pandora watches this and she is just freaking out. But you know who's not freaking out? Cody. Yeah. They were like, we think you know why we're here. And he just nods his head. So they take him down to the police station and he sings like a canary. He tells the cops. I grabbed him by his head and he woke up when I touched him and like pushed me away and reached for his gun. And as soon as I seen him reaching for his nightstand because I knew his gun was in there, I knew there was no turning back because if I didn't do it, it was over anyway. So I grabbed by the back of his neck and tried to slit his throat. But here's the thing. They couldn't corroborate the story. Well, because Cody sort of like tells a different story about what happens. And by the way, that is not a speak and spell talking. That is actually Cody talking. And Cody was basically like, yeah, he was abusive. That's why we did it. So on October 26, 2009, Charles was put to rest. And basically Reggie says, that you can judge someone's life by how many people show up at their funeral. And I was like, I mean, yes and no, because you don't know if people are showing up to like spit on their grave or tap dance on their coffin. It's true. And also, though, like maybe some people kept their inner circle small. Yeah, you don't know that. That's not fair to say. Well, then the police get a break in the case because they find out that Charles, through the military, had several life insurance policies, and all of them added up to over $500,000. That is a motive. Yeah. And so then Cody's like, oh, wait, hold on. I have more to my story. My mom was in on this planning. My mom was really in on this planning. She didn't just mention one thing. No, we planned it. I was going to use a gun, and then we were like, no, a gun would be too loud. Then we were going to fix the brakes on his Jeep so that he would get in a car accident. And they were like, no, what if somebody is in the car? It was basically like a Goldilocks 
of like murder options. It's awful. When I watched this episode, I did not see this coming because Pandora is here. She's telling her side of the story and I'm very confused by that. And she's very sweet and unassuming. Like she's crying and she's very upset. But now we have two stories. We have that Cody took this information and did what he wanted with it. And then we have Pandora was basically the mastermind. We have two stories. It's one person's word against another. And we don't know because obviously they need the details as if Pandora is more involved than she says she is. Well, the police go and find Pandora and they say, you know, Cody's making these accusations and we kind of believe him. So now's your time to tell us the truth. Were you involved? Were you the mastermind behind this plot? And Pandora admits to all of it. She's like, maybe a little bit. Maybe, maybe, yeah. Maybe, yes, I was. I did. We should have never talked about it. I should have never told him that I was thinking about him in the marriage. Well, I shouldn't have never talked to him about him. Right. Because but, then but, I, but I mean, if, if, if I hadn't talked about him in the marriage, then the conversation of killing him would have never come up. She ultimately did admit that she did conspire with Cody. I don't want to make Cody look like this bad person because he wouldn't have done what he did if it wasn't for me. And that confession got her tampering with evidence, obstruction of justice, aggravated murder, which is very different than murder because you have to be in a bad mood, and aggravated robbery. I don't know where the robbery came in. Well, because they staged the scene to make it look like a robbery gone bad. But nothing was stolen. So what we find out later on is that when Cody arrived at their apartment, Pandora let him in and she watched him murder her husband from like just a crack in the door. Because again, it's a studio apartment. She could see everything. He comes running out saying, I lost the knife. I lost the knife and I lost my glove. I need another knife. Pandora runs into the kitchen, grabs him a smaller knife. He continues to attack Charles. And then she holds a bag open for him to dump a few of Chuck's personal items in there, like his laptop and some other things, to make it look like it was a robbery. So technically, they did rob Charles of some of his things. So Cody goes to trial. The jury finds him guilty. And he is given life in prison without parole. And so is Pandora. Which they don't tell us on the episode. Which they don't tell us on the episode, but she was given life in prison without the possibility of parole. And what's so confusing is this is not the way I thought this episode was going to go because this woman is here and she's speaking very kindly of this man who is deceased. And she was wearing sort of like, I was like, maybe that's not an inmate outfit because it was blue. I was like, maybe she's like, a dental hygienist or a dentist, and we just didn't, and she came straight from work. I made up a whole separate side story about how Pandora had nothing to do with it, and she had everything to do with it. She had everything to do with it. I don't understand how people can put a price on a life. I don't understand it. I know. I mean, of course she never saw a penny of that life insurance money, and she's in prison, and so is her son, and he has a face tattoo now. I found a picture of him online. He sure does, and all of this... They ruined people's lives. Yeah. It's really, really sad. Yeah. And she snapped, I guess. Yep. Because that's the title of the TV show that you all wanted us to cover. Yeah. What are you thinking, Joey? I don't know. Is this the Say Something Funny? Well, yeah. Why don't you say something funny? Well, speaking of the interwebs in the early days and us laying down the groundwork so that these kids could enjoy the internet without dial-up and all of that junk, 
I think that they should learn to appreciate what we've been through and that we should make all Gen Z's ringtone the sound of a dial-up modem. <gasps> Give it to them, baby. Welcome to America Online. You've got trauma. Don't worry, the episode that Joey noted, season 25, episode a million, we will still cover so that sweet baby's little notes doesn't go to waste. So we're going to go a little bit out of order. Our next episode will be season 25. What episode was it, honey? 24, 25? 25, 25, 25, 25. But that's what happens when you have two stoners that have a podcast. It's true. But we made it. We're here. We did it. Please give us a follow on social media. We are on all platforms at I Think Not Pod. Join us on the Facebook group. That's where we make all the announcements. Like when we record the wrong episode or we have something to tell you. Or I sometimes post Joey's nudes. Just when it's a low traffic day, I post his nudes there. That's what I do. How dare you. And that is called the I Think Not Podcast Facebook discussion group. You can also find me on Instagram at It's Joey Taranto and Ellen at Ellen Marsh, Ellen with a Y. And if you would like just a little bit more of me in your ears, you can also listen to Rabia and Ellen Solve the Case. That is the podcast I have with Rabia Chaudhry. It is a talk show. We have a guest that chooses a case and then we talk about it. And if you are a reality fan, Daisy Egan and I have a podcast on Grab Bag Collab called Shut the Fuck Up, Nick Lachey. I would love you to take a listen to either one of those. And support all of our friends who have amazing podcasts on that network as well. It's true. And we hope that you're having an amazing holiday season. The holidays can be stressful. So we hope that the sound of us gibbing, gabbing, and reenacting the dial-up modem brings you a little bit of peace and joy this holiday season. And if it doesn't, you're probably a robot. But we love you anyway. (laughs) We love you, Dell bitches. Love you, DBs. I love you, Joey. I love you too, Alan Morsh. Bye. Okay, so there is a place in San Francisco called Pier 39, and my dad used to take us all the time and spend a bunch of money because that's how he used to show love. And then he would be like, oh, do you want to sing a song? And I said, yes. Do you know what song he let a little tiny 10-year-old unibrow having Ellen Marie Marsh sing at one of those booths? I'm going to guess it's like a virgin. No, it's Papa Don't Preach. (laughs) Even worse. Wait. Do you have COVID? No, I tested for COVID today. I do not have it. Uh, you know what I, you have? I have the disease of gay. No. What? Uh, you have cuntitis. <laughs> <laughs> Sadly, there's no cure. <laughs> they speak to police and Pandora Zan says that her husband- They speak to police? They speak to the police. They speak to police, yes. Okay, I'm sorry. Police is like a grouping of people, like how a group of camels is called a tower. A group of police is just called police. And an Ellen is called a nightmare. What are you called, my love? Faggot. Um, so- <laughs> a group of Joey's is called a fucking headache. <laughs> that, yeah, you have to scroll to the bar. <gasps> it's the last one. Baby. Oh, man. Yeah, here it is. I see it. Pandora's Anne. 